Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. It's another Monday morning with Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. I am your host, Laura Stanley, and I'm back as promised with more talk about Child Nutrition Reauthorization 2015. Last week, we covered a huge amount of ground on a walkthrough of the CNR process and much of the content of the bill. Um, Today, not so much walking. Um, We're going to be looking at just one piece of this enormous piece of legislation, the Farm to School Act of 2015. This is an element of CNR that has a lot of people excited and, um, I guess, dare I say it, optimistic. Um, and, And with us today to explain why this is so, and lots more, is Helen Dumbalas, who is Director of Programs for the National Farm to School Network. Um, I think most listeners will be familiar with the network, which has been critical not just to the expansion of farm to school nationally, but its evolution as a social and economic movement. And I have a hunch that lots of you, and maybe even most of you, have attended at least one of the network's inspirational national conferences. Um, After station break, we'll be speaking with Tina Garland, who is with the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. Um, Tina's department was one of the lucky grantees in the first round of farm-to-school funding authorized by CNR 2010. Um, And Helen recommended that we speak with Tina because what her state is doing with the money really speaks to the purpose and potential of federal funding for farm-to-school. Helen, good morning, and welcome to Inside School Food. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So um, you're only recently in your current position. Previously, you served as policy director for the network, leading their work on the reauthorization of the Child Nutrition Act. So I feel like we're in very good hands this morning. <laughs> um, so to, to get us started, um, how about we dial back five years to CNR 2010, because that was when the federal government first authorized the distribution of grants for farm to school. It was, a, it was a milestone moment. Um, can you tell us sort of how and why that happened? Sure, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. It was a monumental moment and very exciting for the National Farm to School Network and for the Farm to School movement as a whole. So kind of taking a step back from that 2010 child nutrition reauthorization, previously Farm to School was and really is a grassroots community-based movement. It started with parents in California and farmers in Florida, folks really from the ground up wanting to get in place the three parts of farm to school, you know, the literal farm to school, getting local farm fresh products into school cafeterias, school gardens, and then education and agricultural literacy type programs. So farm to school had been around prior to 2010, and when the National Farm to School Network formed around 2007, as a as a coordinator and convener, a hub for the movement, mm-hmm. we started to recognize that federal policy could play a role in really advancing and expanding farm to school. 
So we then worked with other partner organizations, including the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, to advocate to Congress to, for the first time ever, provide mandatory funding for a USDA farm-to-school grant program, Mm -hmm. a competitive grant program to really support farm-to-school around the country. I feel like that when that money was authorized in 2010, that was the beginning of of this process of the institutionalization of farm-to-school. Would you agree with that? I would, yeah, that's well said. Um, you know, we, we have seen some states prior to 2010 that had created their own kind of mini-grant or, or farm-to-school coordinator positions, for example, at the state level. So some institutionalization certainly had happened before that, but it was for the first time at the national level with that 2010 bill and with the creation of that funding that we saw that institutionalization where, you know, Congress and the federal government are saying that this is important enough that we want it to stick around, and USDA even now has a whole farm-to-school team to support these Mm -hmm. efforts around the country. Right. And what was um, really interesting at the time was the way the the grant program was structured. There were actually four categories for the grants, which reflected, I think, the, you know, the ambitions for how this might grow. Can you tell us what they were? Sure. That's a great point. So there are various categories within this competitive grant program, planning grants, implementation grants, support service grants, and most recently are training grants. And the reason or the rationale for those various grant categories is simply the fact that folks are at different places along the kind of farm-to-school continuum. So planning grants are really for folks who just want to get started. They may need some hand-holding from USDA. So an example of that is a grant that was awarded to um, Independent School District 197 in Mendota Heights, Minnesota, where they were really interested in getting more involved in farm-to-school but wanted to kind of start at the beginning and just needed to figure out how to get folks at the same table talking to each other, building partnerships, having that initial conversation. So that's a great example of a planning grant where they now, as a result of that grant, have an entire kind of roadmap of where they want to head next and where they want to evolve and expand. Implementation grants are for folks who are already kind of moving the train along the track with Farm to School, but they want to expand, they want to scale up, they um, really want to take it to the next level, so to speak. And an example I love of that is from right here in the nation's capital, an award that went to D.C. Central Kitchen, Mm -hmm. who's essentially a food hub where they were already doing some lessons in, in classrooms here in Washington, D.C., and they were already doing a little bit of purchasing and selling of local food into school meal programs. But what they did with their grant is kind of many-faceted, but it included actually using some of the funds to purchase equipment in order to lightly process. So, for example, peeling squash in order to get them prepared and cubed and chopped and ready for school meal programs. So that's an example of an implementation grant, and what Mm -hmm. they've seen with that grant is an increase as a result of that grant, not only in the percentage of food that's being served in the school meals that they provide that's local, but also an increase in kids actually participating in the school meal program because the quality of the food has gone up and the kids are just so excited about it because they've met the farmers and want to be eating that food. We're very Um, excited about ZCCK here at Inside School Food. We did an episode about them, so I encourage people to look back about a year ago, I think it was. Sorry, keep keep going. I just just had to cut it. They do incredible work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then the third category is support services grants. And those awards, 
basically go to other organizations to then really provide the support that's needed to implement farm to school. So they're kind of those grants are really about convening and coordinating others to implement farm to school. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite examples of that is an award that went to the Intertribal Buffalo Council based out of South Dakota, where they're really working to get more buffalo meat into school meals. So they received a grant to then help coordinate the buffalo producers, figure out what are the supply chain logistics, what are the challenges, what do we need to help all these producers do to then actually get that product into the school cafeterias. And then the most recent um, category that's been added, and we have not even seen the awards come out for this yet, is the training grant category. USDA has now added um, a training grant category because, you know, so much of Farm to School is really about peer learning, and that's what the National Farm to School Network about is, you know, for folks who've been doing it, sharing resources, and then everyone can tailor it to the needs of their own communities in the long run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So th- this is a, a huge amount of opportunity, it sounds like, and yet um, the demand for the first round of grants, um, the 2010 allocation uh, far outstripped what was available. There was $5 million allocated. I mean, was this unexpected, this incredible pent-up demand? (laughs) Great question. You're absolutely right that the demand for this program has far exceeded the current supply of funding available. So as you said, you know, we have $5 million currently available for that program. In the first three years alone, USDA has received about $78 million in requests for the $15 million available in the first three years. Um, Or in other words, they've awarded 221 grants out of over 1,000 applications. Mm -hmm. So about one in five proposals is awarded. And I would not say that it's unexpected. Um, Farm to school is just such a win for so many people. You know, we like to say that it's a triple win because it supports kids, it supports farmers, and it supports communities. It, you know, achieves health outcomes, it achieves economic outcomes, it supports whole families where kids take what they learn home. So I don't think we're surprised that we've seen this demand. Mm -hmm. It's now just a matter of making sure that moving forward with CNR 2015 that we can really continue to support all of the the great work that folks are wanting to do. Right. So, so CNR 2015, in addition to more money, and how much more are you hoping for, or is that too complicated a question at this point? <laughs> <laughs> no, great question. Yeah, so the, um, as you mentioned earlier, we've been working on something called the Farm to School Act of 2015, mm-hmm. and it's it's a marker bill. It's basically an ideas bill where we run around the country and talk to farm to school stakeholders and gathered ideas and input for what folks would like us to ask of Congress um, this year. And so that is that bill is really the compilation of the ideas that came out of those listening sessions. And of course, more than anything, what we heard from folks is we simply just need more money to actually support the demand for this program. So we are calling on Congress to triple the funding from five up to $15 million mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but triple is still not, I mean, you know, it's, triple's not really going to make it, but triple is still a lot more. So that's exciting. Are you right. optimistic about that $15 million? I am, yeah. Um, You know, as I know you talked with Jacqueline Schneider about last week, Mm -hmm. Farm to School in D.C., amongst the CNR dialogue and, you know, just amongst what's happening in Washington where, you know, you don't often have folks working across the aisle, Farm to School, is it just simply is a bipartisan issue. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the Farm to School Act of 2015, when it was introduced back in late February, had a 
Senate Republican, Senator Cochran from Mississippi, a Senate Democrat, Senator Leahy from Vermont, as well as two representatives, Fortenberry from Nebraska, a Republican, mm-hmm. and Fudge, a Democrat from Ohio, championing it. And it really goes to show that farm to school is one of those issues that works across the aisle and you know affects child health as much as it does farmer wealth. And thus, for that reason, we remain very optimistic. And honestly, since February, we have continued to get more members of Congress from both sides of the aisle wanting to kind of jump on the bill and support it because I think folks see it as a real opportunity not only to advance health and economic development, but also to make all the other school meal programs just work better. Yeah. When kids, you know, as I said earlier, are growing the food in the school garden or they're meeting the farmer, they have that connection. They're going to be more willing to taste and try and like new and healthier foods. So a lot of folks are recognizing that important point and really catalyst that Farm to School provides for all the other meal programs. Right. And then you told me that another um, aspect of this bill that contributes to its bipartisan popularity is the the, the level of autonomy that um, that, you know, is granted locally for for how the money is spent and how Farm to School programs are designed. Can you comment on that? Sure, absolutely. Yes, and that's exactly right, that one of the aspects of the Farm to School grant program and of this marker bill is really an emphasis on it being a federal program that ultimately provides local and state flexibility. So the National Farm to School Network, when we talk about Farm to School, you know, yes, we say it's procurement, education, and gardens, but beyond that, we're not prescriptive. You know, as I said earlier, it really is a grassroots community-based movement, and so folks in their own communities know what's best and what's needed. You know, Mm -hmm. in Alaska, they may be focusing on boat-to-school or fish-to-school products, whereas in Montana, it might be beef. Mm -hmm. So every state and every community has different needs. They have different partners that may want to come to the table, and so that's exactly what the USDA Farm to School grant program is designed to do is be this federal support for local ideas and local implementation because each community knows what's best. And ultimately, you're absolutely right that that is something that a lot of members of Congress that we've been working with are very interested in is realizing that it is a program that supports that local flexibility. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear I wasn't getting ahead of myself when I (laughs) said that we could be really optimistic about this bill. Um, So so now this year it's exciting to observe just how much of the conversation around CNR is also taking on the deep need for more and better equipment and infrastructure for actual cooking and um, technical support for districts um, that are moving away um, from heavy reliance on highly processed heat and serve type stuff. Um, but you know, all of this is going to continue to come from out of a limited pot of money. It doesn't sound like you have concern that new funding for kitchens and trainings will, will pull funding out from under farm to school. No, that's a great question, and we don't have that concern. There's a specific piece of legislation, the School Food Modernization Act, Mm -hmm. which is another marker bill or ideas bill um, being championed by Pew Charitable Trust and Healthy Schools Campaign. They did some research and surveyed school districts around the country and found that one of the top needs schools have is just basic equipment. You know, newer schools have been built without proper kitchens, and older schools may have been retrofitted and gotten rid of kitchens. So... Schools, therefore, demanding equipment, and that's something that the National Farm to School Network obviously stands for and gets Mm -hmm. behind because if we're talking about farm to school procurement, obviously schools can't have, you know, Farmer Josie's 
bed of dirty carrots that she's pulled from the ground <laughs> showing up. They need to be washed and they need to be perhaps sliced into carrot coins that the school can then use. So mm-hmm. we are fully supportive of and have endorsed that School Food Modernization Act and know that ultimately it's very complementary to the Farm to School Act of 2015 and just a farm to school overall. Right. I, I feel like that that act is part of this process I mentioned earlier about the move towards the institutionalization of farm to school. You know, when we spoke earlier, you talked about, you know, the day when we'll move beyond small grants and evolve into a, you know, more routine um, general policy um, around USDA that, that sort of you know, makes farm to school more of a, a routine, everyday happening in the supply chain for for uh, school food. Yes, that is that's exactly what we envision, and you know, it's kind of our mission is you know for it to become the norm rather than the exception that mm-hmm. kids are meeting farmers and growing food in schools and integrating food and agricultural education into you know their core curriculums, into science classes and math classes and history classes, so that we can ultimately, you know, raise a generation of kids who, um, you know, know what questions to ask about their food. It's Mm -hmm. not that every child is going to grow up and be a farmer, but it's about making sure that we can set systems in place from the farm to the cafeteria and, you know, all along the supply chain to make sure that farm to school can be successful. Right, right. So, Helen, we, we shouldn't sign off without mentioning that you've got at least one action step for listeners. We're, we're all supposed to sign something, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes, thank you for mentioning that. Mm-hmm. So if you all go to farmtoschool.org or farmtoschool.org backslash CNR2015, you mm-hmm. can find out more about this Farm to School Act that we've been talking about. And one thing we're asking folks to do is take action by saying, yes, Congress, we support this. We want you to be supporting and including Farm to School in this new reauthorization. And so when you go to that website, you can actually put your name on the citizen sign-on letter doing just that. Um, And then we also, for those of you that are involved with organizations or school districts or farms, we as as well have an organizational sign-on letter mm-hmm. that you can um, sign on to. That's great. So you can sign on as um, as a representative of your school district, which is great. Um, I'll be posting a link to all of that on today's um, show page. Um, so if you if you uh, go to that link and scroll down to the bottom, it says there's a show your support button where you can sign on. And, um, and as Helen said, this page is a terrific launch pad to a number of resources for learning more about current farm-to-school grantees, the content of this year's Farm to School Act and CNR itself, if we haven't told you enough already on this show. Um, We have been speaking with Helen Dumbalas, who is Director of Programs for the National Farm to School Network and former Policy Director for the Network. Um, Helen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, After station break, Tina Garland will tell us how the Kentucky Department of Agriculture is using a major uh, support service grant to create a network of model farm-to-school programs across the state. From there, she says, the sky is the limit. And I I love it when people talk like that. Um, You're listening to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network.
This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com. Welcome back to Inside School Food. I'm Laura Stanley, and I'm very pleased to introduce our next guest, Tina Garland, who is Procedures Development Coordinator um, for the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. Her passion is aiding producers in creating what she calls a non-traditional market for K-12 food service directors and Kentucky growers. Hi, Tina. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Um, so to get us started, let, let's get a little lay of the land about farm to school in Kentucky. Um, you know, where, where are you at? Like, you know, how, many, how much participation are you seeing right now? Well, Kentucky has 173 school districts, and we have 80-plus of those districts that participate in farm-to-school. And per the US, farm-to-school USDA census, Kentucky spent over $1.6 million on local foods in the school year of 2011-2012. So you're doing pretty well. And would you say that farm-to-school is – well, actually, I think I know the answer. It sounds like it's growing in popularity in your state. Yes, it is. And with all the grants that are out there and, um, you know, being made available with a farm-to-school farm focus, um, the awareness has just shot out the roof. Yeah, that, that, that's great. Um, and so let, let's talk about the opportunities for growth. There's a, you know, the, the agricultural landscape in Kentucky is um, very what it, 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 it's it's friendly for farm to school in that you have many small farms throughout the state. Can you tell us how that works? Well, our farm to school, I feel, really can help that small to medium producer. Mm-hmm. And Kentucky is a is a strong agricultural state, and it provides them an opportunity to branch out into different markets. And it's not only farm to school is not just through K through twelve. You know it it covers farm to preschool, mm-hmm. farm to university, farm to health care right. institutions. Mm-hmm. So it's really has the opportunity to grow. Right. I mean, when, when you described um, agriculture in Kentucky, it reminded me of what guests on the show have said about agriculture um, in, you know, the upper Michigan um, peninsula and also agriculture in Vermont and that, you know, you have held on to so many of these small and mid-sized farms that are not growing commodity crops. Um, so it's a, it's a real win for them because you're opening up markets that allow them to sustain this kind of business, right? That's correct. Right. But there must, I mean, there are obstacles too that, that you know, you're working on w- with the help of these grants. Like what, what's standing in the way of growing farm to school in Kentucky? Well, the obstacles still lie with procurement and distribution, mm-hmm. and uh, they present, you know, our biggest challenge. Right. So it's, it, and when you say obstacles are in procurement, is it distribution or is it awareness about how to um, kind of follow the USDA uh, rules for bidding? You know, what, what, what's, where's the, where are the holes in the system? Well, um, great point. It it really is more toward the procurement 
steps mm-hmm. more so than you know not finding that distributor or distribution or, or that distribution part but it's the procurement and knowing if you're doing it correctly mm-hmm. and you know it just some food service directors are more aware and more comfortable with it and mm-hmm. i think that's that's a big part of it too is being comfortable with procuring right so you you've actually received two grants and one was smaller and that was one in the fourth category that helen mentioned for training and so i understand that you're tackling this issue with trainings um and didn't you have your first one last week Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. How did it With go? Our, our, our um, conference and event grant that we received through the USDA Farm to School mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. opportunity, we were allowed to provide our first procurement training at our KSNA conference, and we had over a fifty. We had over fifty. Uh, people attend, which were from managers to food service directors to finance. Um, people within the food service there at their in their schools mm-hmm. and Kirk Falkerson with USDA FNS came down and provided training and, and technical support um, alongside with us. It was very, very, very good. Right. And you used that wonderful um, local procurement buying guide um, developed by Christina Connell at USDA, which we have yes, featured we on the show. Uh, it's a fabulous tool. Um, so, um, so, so that went well, and you feel like those 50 people are better positioned to get out there and buy local now? Yes, I do. Right. And they, yes, in the survey that we did at the end of the class, they, they gave us wonderful marks and comments. Right, right. So I, w- I want to talk more about the support service grant, which is much bigger to the tune of like $71,000. But before we go there, I, I, I love your, you have kind of an origin story for Farm to School in Kentucky um, from one of your most economically challenged areas. You, you, you told me about a project funded by e, uh, CDC in Owsley County. Am I pronouncing that right? Ousley, yes. Ousley? Okay. What happened there? And it was a while ago, right? It was about six years ago, mm-hmm. and the Department of Public Health was awarded a CDC grant uh, that was to focus on obesity. And Owsley County is our poorest county in the state, as mm-hmm. well as the highest rate of obesity. And they wanted to focus around farm to school. And the food service director there um, had written for a mini-grant that they re-granted with, with those funds, and she was awarded that. And it just really, she did a tremendous job and was so successful that they now have a 10-acre community garden, wow. a farmer's market on school grounds. Mm-hmm. Um, they saved over $7,000 worth of, of dollars going out from produce that they received from the school garden mm-hmm. uh, just in last year's school year. And they have created, it, it is so sustainable that that's what really encouraged us to do it all again six years later when the grants were made available. That's that's a great story. So um, your support service grant, it's got a lot of moving parts because it's a lot of money. Um, so and so well, maybe we should start out by talking about how you've broken up some of it into mini grants to us. Is it 11 different districts? Yes. We um, re-granted um, 11 $5,000 mini grants, 
and we developed the application and opened it up, and then we had um, three different reviewers that reviewed them all. Mm-hmm. And after we awarded them, they uh, they really focused, well, what we mainly focused on were the three C's, which is community, cafeteria, and classroom. Mm-hmm. So they all, all of the grants had to have a component of the three C's. And they, each of them, um, uh, as far as they wanted to purchase curriculum mm-hmm. with those funds for the classroom, they're wanting to do raised beds in their in the schools as not only for teaching opportunity but also to provide the lunchroom with some fresh fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. they are going to do a lot of on farm visits mm-hmm. um, to you know there again raise awareness for the skid for the kids to know where their food comes from and how it is grown and then some of them want to purchase coolers um, for extra space just for that local product Right. So there's so many things they need. And, and, and what you told me was that um, in selecting your 11, because um, these are all kind of pilots, right? Um, you were you were looking for um, kind of strong stakeholder support across the school community to make sure that, you know, it would be a go. Yes, that's right. correct. Right, right. And then some of the um, support service grant funding will go directly to your department for further technical support of grantees. Is that right? That is correct, but Mm -hmm. a small percentage goes there um, to the department. Uh, Commissioner Comer supports Farm to School and um, has provided, you know, us the the availability for, to provide that support Mm -hmm. without the grants. Mm -hmm. So that that is pretty much my everyday job is to continue that tech support uh, for for the farm to school. Right, right. And then you are also um, engaged in conversation with co-ops and with your DOD fresh distributor for Kentucky to expand access to local. Um, does the funding, the, does the grant funding help you uh, build those efforts out? Yes, it does. It, there again, it, it creates more um, more, I guess, request mm-hmm. for that local product. Mm-hmm. And so that, with with the request coming in to the DOD, then he's more open to, to add the local producers so that he can place that product in their catalog mm-hmm. so the, the food service directors can order that. And we have a program in Kentucky that is called Restaurant Rewards. Mm-hmm. And if the food service director is a Kentucky Proud member, and they purchase Kentucky Proud products. Then, at the end of the of the uh, quarter, when they turn in their receipts, they can receive a a kickback or a refund on part of the dollars that they spend with local producers. Mm-hmm. So, That's... introducing that local producer to the DOD vendor is is really crucial. I it, it, it really is. It really expands access. So, so Tina, we've got um, 11 grantees um, under this funding, and once they have their coolers working and their curriculum in place and their, their local procurement protocol worked out, you know, what's your goals for, for sharing out that learning and accomplishment to districts throughout the state? Well, we have really, that's a great question, and we have really encouraged them to become 
um, site visits for mm-hmm. others and to to promote workshops. And when we have workshops, we, we are going to include those districts uh, into that workshop. And, you know, Owsley County was just awarded at the KSNA conference. They were just awarded a USDA award of for best practices mm-hmm. for farm to school. So that was, you know, quite an achievement. And they have been... Um, they have been so helpful in hosting, again, you know, site visits and reaching out to other food service directors. And there are even counties surrounding Owsley that purchase from them. Mm-hmm. So she's even opened up, you know, the, when they have extra, she's even opened up to other counties. I guess that's kind of what you mean when you say the sky's the limit. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yes. <laughs> so, it is. T- Tina, I look forward to the day when the flow of Kentucky grown to Kentucky schools will no longer be regarded as non traditional, but a routine element of your school food supply chain. So, best of luck with that. And thank you for being our first guest from the beautiful agricultural state of Kentucky. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, we have been speaking with Tina Garland of the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, which was a recent recipient of one of the first farm to school support service grants, and oh, and also a, um, a training grant distributed by USDA with funding authorized under CNR 2010. Um, as we look ahead to more farm to school funding under CNR 2015, hopefully much more. Um, it, it's projects like the one underway in Kentucky, which will serve as role models for the new grantees. Uh, This is Inside School Food. Next week, we are extending the holiday through Monday, so no new episode on July 6th. But we are putting together a super one for Monday, July 13th, um, which was recorded in the halls and cafeteria of PS34 on the Lower East Side here in New York City. So it will be worth the wait, I promise. Um, Inside School Food is a production of the Heritage Radio Network and can be found at heritageradionetwork.org, the number one radio station um, in the nation celebrating good food and the good food movement. You can also find today's show and resource links to today's show on insideschoolfood.com. And at the risk of sounding like a broken record, please remember to cast your vote for Inside School Food by following us on social media. That would be Facebook or Twitter or by signing up for the newsletter via InsideSchoolFood.com. I'm Laura Stanley, a happy fourth to all, and I'll see you again in two weeks. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.